Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host, as usual, Mr. Joe Quinn. Hello. And Harrison Keeley. Hi, everyone. Uh, this week on Behind the Headlines, we've got three big topics we want to look at, but there's quite a number of things that we could also touch on, but we're going to start with the three we've advertised uh, again, like last week, really because that's what the mainstream headlines switch to, the big topic at the moment. Certainly in the liberal media it is over this Cambridge Analytica company and its connections to Facebook and rigging elections and there's a great big brouhaha. Um, our second major story, I suppose we could be discussing some developments in the US. Um, it looks like it's curtains for Trump. I mean... <gasps> We can debate whether or not that's the case, but now for the first time, I really get a sense that um, the domestic U.S. base is uh, really peeved for them. So we'll get into that a bit as well and some of the other stuff that uh, the Trump administration got up to in the last week. And the third topic should really be the one that's kind of disappeared off the headlines, was pushed off by the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um namely the, this, this alleged poisoning by the Russians of a former Russian spy in the UK. Because, yeah, that didn't go anywhere. It's, it's still there. Um, that was an egregious attempt by the British government to niggy sob mm. the Kremlin. And it's on the face of it, to us anyway, it appears that it fell flat in his face. Um, there have been a few developments, uh, especially politically, since um, since we last spoke of this, about this last week. But uh, we'll get to those things in good time. Again, if you have anything you'd like to uh, like us to address, if you have any specific questions, if you're listening live, of course you can uh, send us a message via the chat room. Uh, I see or lots of banter in. already going on in there at the moment. That's great. See all our peoples. Or you can call in via radio.sot.net. And uh, we're glad to take any comments or questions you have. Okay, so um, Facebook and Facebook, Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. I, it's like it's kind of bittersweet that after 15 years, there's now a pseudo, maybe maybe actually viral campaign hashtag delete Facebook, where people like realize what an evil entity it is. And suddenly find out, you know, maybe it might not be good for me. Yeah, yeah, I knew it all along. I'm going to delete my account. Or people are going, well, I never had an account. Well, okay, good for you. But, um, yeah, hold your horses there. You know, it was obviously a data mining enterprise from the beginning. No. Of course it was. Of course it was. Conspiracy theory. What are you talking about? Terms of use in Facebook, anything you publish there, you, you basically say is no longer mine. Facebook gets to do whatever they want with it. Well, yeah. But they just want to serve you better by right. taking your private information so they can, um, <clears throat> you know. Sell it on. Push some ads your way. No, right. not just sell it on. Sell it on, to, yeah, sell it on to companies that then would say, oh, we have a product to that person, you know, who, you know, likes cats or doggy videos or, you know, conspiracy theories or he's a survivalist or she's a, you know, she's a 
I don't know any number of things, you know, and they and then they pop you up with uh, some um, some advertisements, you know. There are conspiracy theory companies. Well, yeah, the, the conspiracy. they manufacture them and target. No, they manufacture <laughs> stuff to help you with your conspiracy theories. Oh right, to so, get over like pills, no, pills no, to calm you down. No, tinfoil hats. No, to help you uh, help you, you know, engage with the conspiracy theory more by building yourself a bunker in your back garden. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, because what's a good conspiracy theory without a bunker? Okay. To uh, as uh, <clears throat> as what do you call it? Um, you know, uh, as kind of backup for whenever your conspiracy theory comes true. <laughs> you need somewhere to go and ride out the apocalypse. You know. So um, yeah, sell you an underground bunker, or sell you some survival pills, or you know, military food, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's what it was for. That's the benign aspect of, of Facebook. Is that there was just basically well, they have to make money, right? It's like same as Google, right? Um, Google likes to collect all sorts of information about users of Google, anything, YouTube, uh, Google search engine itself, Google Maps, whatever. Uh, when you have a Google account on your phone, whatever, uh, on your computer, uh, they're checking where you're going, checking what you're doing, you know, um, so that they can then generate ad rev- uh, advertising revenue uh, from manufacturers mm. of different products uh, who will... You know, pitch their ads to you, and so it's, Google's like the middleman. You know, we were talking about this recently. Uh, that previously, back in the old days of the internet, not the internet is very, very old, but back in the sorry young days of the internet, um, if you had a website <coughs> and it was fairly popular, you would get uh, you could either proposition or you would be uh, asked by actual individual companies for advertising space on your website. Uh, and they would just simply send you, or you would make them an ad, or they would send you an ad uh, for their product on your website, and then they would pay you some money for doing that. But Google and Facebook and those kind of thing, things came along and very quickly became the middleman, basically. But they're collecting all the data about you and then pitching it to. So it's just, you know, it's a kind of a monopoly on, on Internet advertising, effectively, that Google has. And Facebook does a similar thing, although Facebook maybe has more of a... Facebook has the sense of being a bit more... Um, intrusive or a bit more uh, you know a bit more creepy or scary because of the kind of things that you're uh, talking about on Facebook you can be talking about uh, you know so not, it's not just that you go to a website on Google search for a website on Google or look at something on, on via Google and then Google will say oh we've got a company that might want to you might want to buy something from uh, whereas on Facebook you're sharing information personal information you know I mean stupid people are uh, well, not stupid people. I'm not calling them stupid people, but uh, a lot of people. Naive are, people. Naive people are sharing very personal information on Facebook, and then that gives even more leverage into, you know, to how they can target you for for advertisements, whatever. That's just the that's the and that's still the benign aspect of it. Of course, yeah. it's like yeah. the government is is you know siphoning or sucking up all of this information, storing in a database about you. Uh, yeah, but people are kind of. I mean, what do you expect? You know. I mean, if you have Facebook, people who download their Facebook data, you can download your Facebook data. Uh, you'd send a request and you get this big file sent to you eventually. Uh, and in there you can check all the stuff that is Facebook has collected about you. And if you've used Facebook on your phone, uh, as the Facebook app on your phone, you know, as many people do, I think most people are using mobile devices, uh, or at least 50% of people are using mobile devices to do their internet stuff. So if people are checking Facebook via their phone or their mobile device, uh, especially if it's a phone in particular, uh, it seems that Facebook also 
just because it has that Facebook that Facebook app is on your phone, Facebook will collect all of your call data as well. Mm-hmm. So you go, if you download your Facebook Facebook data, you'll see a list of all the calls <clears throat> and all the text messages that you sent from that phone. You thought you were just downloading a Facebook app that was specific to Facebook, but no, Facebook is into you know advertising. Why do you think Mark Zuckerberg is so rich? Or supposedly so rich, or why why Facebook is worth so much money? Because it's the potential that it has to to access people's brains, effectively, what's going on in their heads, and then pitch products to them. As a middleman middleman advertiser, you know they have access. It's like Facebook can say to companies around the world, "We can bring you millions of people who are interested in your product," and those companies will pay a lot of money for that. And that's that's the potential supposedly in Facebook. So Facebook, uh, you know. They obviously, they're not going to stop at just, uh, just just letting you post stuff. It's not just about letting you, providing a forum for you to talk to your friends about what you had for dinner. You know, Facebook has to make money. People forget about the other side of Facebook. That's there to make money, and it makes money out of you, basically, and what you like and, and the companies that want to want to market to you. And, of mm-hmm. course, plausibly uh, keeping tabs on the phone that you're using, that you have the Facebook app on, keeping tabs on who you call, you know, what companies you call. I mean, all of that is potentially relevant information. You know, uh, this SMSs you, 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 you send and stuff. I mean, there's really no limit once it's, once it's, once it's about prying into your private life to decide uh, how they can leverage you as a, as a consumer. I mean, pretty much everything you do on your phone is going to be sucked up by, by, by with, that, with that intent, you know. We avoided Facebook like the plague until 2010. When we went in there and we said, right, we're going to use it to share information. Yeah. And we set up a, a SOT account and so on. And that did pretty well until, until a couple of years ago. We were growing and growing in terms of likes of the page, in terms of interaction with people, the number of comments under articles, mm-hmm. the number of reactions, is it shares, views or something? The number of times you get multiplied across people's own feeds. Impressions. Impressions. Well, that just fell off a cliff. And we're not, of course, we're not the only ones. This is the whole YouTube and social media purge that people are talking about. It's real and it's hit us as hard as anyone else. Um, I think the game was given away by the Zuck right before the election, I think he said this. He said he was disappointed that users, and that they were going to try and get users back to what it was originally supposed to be for or was originally functioning as, which was get people to take a photo of their meal mm. and yada, yada, yada. Oh, the okay. gossip, the, the interpersonal consummation of stuff. Right. Because people, what they, they got away from them. People started to consume information. Mm. A little too, information they didn't like. Mm-hmm. And that was when fake news erupted, before the election still. And, of course, it went, became a massive issue right after Trump was elected, the shock. I, just, I suspect the shock, they knew what was coming mm-hmm. because they have all this stuff that they're currently ranting about, psychographics on how people think. and vote. We know what you think before you think it kind mm-hmm. of thing. They would have had a, a masses of data prior to the election and have a very good idea that, shit, we've got a major upset on our, on our hands here. And that, that was why that began a fake news issue. Fake news, fake issue began prior to the election. I think what we're seeing today with this fake scandal is a continuation of 
either a coordinated or a haphazard ad hoc efforts to get things back on track. And some of the calls, we're hearing calls up to and including um, breaking up Facebook as a company, as a monopoly, or nationalizing it. Short of that, regulating the hell out of it. That's government control. That's more excuse for getting in there and and, and they've already they've already given us tasters or teasers of what they're going to do. They're going to fact checking things. They're going to ban you, ban this. You know, you can see this imposition of. I think it's I think it's a fake scandal, as you say, and it's not really going to nothing's going to happen to Facebook unless everybody. The only thing that would change Facebook would be if everybody deleted their accounts as they say they do. But I don't expect people tend to be very fickle, and I don't think anybody's going any significant number of people are going to delete their Facebook accounts because uh, they're so used to it at this point. And the other point is that. Facebook, in, in line with it being uh, a way to generate a- advertising revenue for Facebook by um, targeting Facebook users with specific products, there's also another customer in that respect uh, that, that is very interested in Facebook and the, and the data that it provides about people, and that's the government. Uh, it's not just, you can see the government as a company, but the government, <coughs> or political parties, let's say, <coughs> uh, are, are customers who are interested in what Facebook has to has to offer, uh, which is access to people, and and this is where the no, it's no longer where it's no longer about uh, people posting pictures of their their breakfast, of their dinner, or what they like, or their cats, or their vacations, or whatever that could be leveraged for by ordinary companies um, for advertising. The government then realised that well, or Facebook, along with with, with political parties, realised that well, if all these people on Facebook are talking, a lot of people on Facebook are talking about political things, then we can simply use that. In the same way that we use it to, to target them with uh, product advertising, we can we can uh, use it to target them with, or at least get a read on on uh, political advertising and pl- what uh, what way politi- people's political inclinations are, are going and you know use Facebook or try to use Facebook to influence elections in that way. You know, um, so it's just another you know it's another way to uh, you know, the government is another company and, and, and Facebook users are consumers of political ideas, you know, and there are pro- political parties that are interested in those, uh, in, in leveraging that in one way or another. Well, can we can we back up just a second? Um, because I've been traveling for a couple of days this week, so I haven't been, I haven't seen the whole story or all the details. What exactly happened with Cambridge Analytica? Because I, I got the impression that what it was... Uh, um, used by some Trump campaign people, Steve Bannon, to basically target, I don't know, target information to, to certain voters, or what's the actual scandal behind this, <clears throat> you know, latest revelation? Um, I still don't have my head fully around it, but I think it goes like this: Steve Bannon founded, or was a, f- or was given control of after its founding of Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica was formed in 2015 in London. It is, it is not an entity unto itself. Its parent company is called Strategic Communications Laboratories. It's a long-running British company um, that offers precisely these services and more to clients all over the world, namely to powerful interests seeking election. It boasts on its own bloody website that it's, it's successfully given or basically successfully rigged the elections in about 60 different countries. Um, that's SCL. Now, Cambridge Analytica was started with a view to winning the 2016 election. 
the primary funder at Cambridge Analytica is basically SEL USA, although it's incorporated in London. Um, Steve Bannon was given the running of it, but the money for it, at least in part, came from Robert Mercer, who you'll remember was the only tycoon, the only oligarch in the US oligarchy who would back Trump. And Mercer came in after Trump had already demolished everyone in the primaries and was the Republican candidate. At that point, he ditched Ted Cruz, who he'd been backing as his, his, his horse for the race, and now switched to backing Trump, which brought in Steve Bannon to run his campaign. And that tagged along Cambridge Analytica. Now, in October, prior even to the actual shock result, Cambridge Analytica, their guy, their CEO was a British guy, Alexander Nix, was going around giving public talks, boasting to people, anyone who would listen, because it drives up the stock of his, his company and their methods, that we're, we're solely responsible for all of the Trump campaign's online marketing, uh, targeted political advertising on social media. Now, what's novel about it in Trump's case, this had been done before using social media to micro-target specific people and influence, you know, send ads their way, basically, uh, on political issues. So there wasn't new. What was new was that Trump did not spend much at all in mainstream political advertising, which has been the status quo for 50, 60 years. What was novel was that he took the cost-effective way of saying to hell with the mainstream and just focus on social media. Mm. So there's some, there's a bit of a mind beep going on here because the implication is that Trump only won this. You see, they spent they spent nearly two years now going. Trump only won it because Russia rigged the elections. Well, that fell, fell flat in his face. Although it was kind of successful because people still have the association in their head. Well, they kind of put that to bed now. And now it's that Trump only won the election. At the margins, remember, because Hillary trounced him supposedly in the popular vote. So he only won thanks to the Electoral College. It was close. It wasn't really. But having said that it was close, they're saying that he won at the margins thanks to Cambridge Analytica running his social media micro-targeting campaigns, which are scandalous. And then they list the reasons for why they're scandalous, except that none of them actually add up. They're only they're doing what is standard industry practice. Like I said... The guy, Alexander Nix, the British CEO, the bespectacle guy getting chased by the media all week. He's not, he's not any more of a monster than the rest of them. This is standard, modern-day, they're probably more advanced than other companies in what they're doing. It's cutting-edge, and yeah, it's dodgy as hell because you're using people's data against them to influence them. Mm. But isn't that the story of everything these days? Mm-hmm. What does Google do if not tailor your search results to create literally a, a reality bubble that conforms to, to your beliefs and your ex- expectations of what you'll see. And not just about things you consume, about what answers you'll get to a question. You ask a question, it will return results based on who you are, mm-hmm. what it knows you already believe. What do you want to hear? And why not transfer that to the political arena? I mean, it's, it was logical that it would go that way. Mm-hmm. What's scummy is, yeah, influencing people's, swaying people to vote a certain way. But that is how, it was. it's only been associated with being scummy in people's minds 
because of the last two years of saying Russia did it. And now it's it's all again it's all been compartmentalized to one entity, Cambridge Analytica. No, no, no. This is how these people influence it's called the masses. It's called electioneering, no? It's called electioneering. It's it's why is it why is it a, a crime to do this? You know. Well, you know your bullshit meter should go right away when you see that the Guardian, the Washington Post, and New York Times simultaneously begin. I think last Monday with special sections on their website at the top with themed, color-coded themes. The Guardian has a yellow and a, a black and gray coded theme. It's still running it with special reports because that tells you they've had a stack of reports backed up and they're pushing them out now altogether. In concert, Channel 4 um, did some uh, classic hit piece style journalism by going undercover in, in talks meetings with this Knicks guy and others in which to get them on tape mm-hmm. saying some of the classically dirty tricks they offer, such as bribing people, honeypots, honey uh, we can get you Ukrainian hookers and get your opponent compromised. We get that out in the media or maybe not go the whole way. We insinuate that we have it. And then that helps your campaign because yeah, he looks bad. One of the yeah, one of the examples. It's, it's basically they seem to have segued. I mean, this SEL group, that's the parent company of Cambridge Analytica, um, is fully kind of entrenched or, or a part of the British Conservative, essentially the British establishment. Let's say it's in, in the UK, the establishment, the, the ruling elite. Let's say, let's say are, are firmly aligned with with the Conservative Party. Um, so there's all, all di- many different names uh, in, on, the, on the board of directors of this, of this parent company um, that are all either former or uh, current kind of Conservative Party members or even, you know, up, up to including uh, members of the royal family and that kind of stuff. So real old, old uh, kind of Etonian, as they're called, you know, the, the kind of elite schools in the UK and the Conservative Party. Basically, that's, that's the kind of people who are, who have, who are involved in this. Um, in this organisation, and they're effectively uh, they're kind of like you know the the stewards of the British Empire, of the latter day British Empire, and, and they're continuing on with their with with uh, kind of with with furthering the inter- interests of the British Empire by in, by modern means, and that's um, obviously involves uh, social media and um, uh, you know internet activities, etc. But there's also the traditional, as Neil was just saying, the traditional aspect of it being, uh, you know, old old school bribery, honeypots, like the, the this uh, secret uh, undercover tape that they have of two two guys, two directors of this of this group, have them saying, giving examples where they would go to a foreign country um, in order to entrap and bribe uh, the leader of that country to in order to get him on side. Uh, they would uh, pose as one of them. They would have someone pose as a big-time investor who would be going to this country and say, listen, I've got billions or millions or billions of dollars that I want to invest in your country. Uh, that would get the, the, the leader of this country on side or the, the representative of the country on side. He would be very friendly and stuff. They'd go out for drinks and then they'd bring in some prostitutes and, uh, and film him uh, in, in one way or another and then use that as leverage over him, basically. So that's why they would, they would gain control over the, the, the governments of foreign countries. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that they're involved in. So by that standard, um, 
the kind of collecting data on social media users and using them to uh, to, to influence an election or to g- gather data in order to pitch your pitch for a political party to pitch its uh, its message, you know, to the right audience or in the right way. Mm-hmm. That's kind of pretty tame, really. In terms, of, I don't know what they're kind of making a scandal about something that like like isn't really a scandal. Well, uh, on the American side. The main emphasis they want to place is on the Trump election. That without these scummy scam artists, Trump wouldn't have won it. On the British side, Cambridge Analytica were involved in some way with the Leave.eu campaign, um, which Nigel Farage was a part of, but not not the main leader of. Um, And anyway, the insinuations there are that Brexit would not have happened would have not the result would not have gone the way it did without the influence again of this scummy organization. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's the I think that's the primary message that, that they're trying to push out there. But but what a subject to 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 lift the lid on. Because again it leads back to London. It's it's this is a, a lot of parallels with the Skripal poisoning case well, in yeah. Salisbury. Holy moly. Because I, I want to elaborate a bit on what you just outlined the, the high level Tory connections with mm-hmm this SCL, the parent group of Cambridge Analytica. I'm going to read out a bit of uh, an expose we found. Um, I haven't fact-checked any of this, but it sounds like it's legit. Um, This is a piece by Liam O'Hare for the Scottish independent website bellacaledonia.org.uk. So he gives some background on SCL. In 2005, so they've been around a long time, 2005, SCL went public with a glitzy exhibit at the DSEI conference, which is the UK's largest sort of showcase um, weapon, weaponry, um, military technology uh, sales event. It's one of, but it's the biggest one. The one that the Saudis go to in every year. So they're there pitching their thing, and their hard sell was a demonstration of how the UK government could use listen to this, could use a sophisticated media campaign of mass deception to fool the British people into the thinking into thinking that an accident at a chemical plant had occurred and that it threatened central London. Hmm. They, that was their showcase for, look what the kind of things we can do for your country. Who wants to buy our services? <laughs> that just <laughs> happened just mm. two weeks ago. Um, SCL Group says on its website that it provides, quote, data analytics and strategy to governments and military organizations worldwide. Indeed, the organization boasts that it has conducted, quote, their words, behavioral change programs in over 60 countries, and its clients have included the British MOD, the U.S. State Department, and NATO. Uh, O'Hare goes on to name some of the specific high-level Tory donors or actual politicians who are on this board and so on, and concludes, international deception and meddling is the name of the game for SCL. We finally have the most concrete evidence yet of shadowy actors using dirty tricks in order to rig elections. But these characters aren't operating from Moscow intelligence bunkers. Instead, they are British, Eton-educated, headquartered in the city of London, and have close ties to Her Majesty's government, Your Honour, I rest my case. There's your meddling. London, oh, yeah. baby. Well, is it, it's not surprising that uh, that, they would be a, that they would be blaming or accusing others of, of what they're doing themselves. And in fact, 
you know what they have been doing for for much longer and in, in a much more egregious egregious and um, you know widespread way. So yeah, but apparently you can't get that information out there. You, you can't reach the public with that kind of information because the media, the mainstream media, won't won't tell it. Basically, won't tell that the the real story. Won't highlight uh, the very good reasons why everybody in the world, in particular the British public and the European public, uh, should be extremely skeptical of any allegations by uh, the British government that they are, you know, the Russians are have been hacking the American election or that they were responsible for the poisoning uh, of, of this guy's group all because... Uh, these people don't have a very good track record, you know. I mean, I, I mean, you've seen a lot of stuff probably on social media with people pointing out the fact that, you know, why would you believe the British government talking about uh, the Russians uh, carrying out a chemical weapons attack effectively and, and poisoning this guy when they, uh, the British government was uh, uh, front and center uh, in the in the campaign in 2003 to uh, fool consciously, deliberately fool and lie to the the world basically, particularly the British public and, and European and American publics. Uh, into believing that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction when he didn't. So why would you? I mean, that's what never. That's what I never really can get my head around is the, 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 this problem where people just don't go. Well, this is a proven liar. You know, these people have been have uh, are proven liars. Uh, not not just proven liars, but they're proven liars on this very very topic of attempting to demonize another country by way of accusing them of having weapons of mass destruction, in particular chemical weapons. They tried it before. They were outed as liars. And then they have the the gall and the shamelessness to do exactly the same thing again. And I don't know, but I suppose I don't know. How, we don't have the data as to how many people in the uh, in how many members of the public are just calling, just kind of going, yeah, right, whatever, that's a load of bullshit. Um, or if how many people are actually buying it. And I suppose I don't know. It's a mixture of the media being not really being transparent about that, or not being up upfront and telling the truth about it, and informing the public in a way that. You know they should, uh, and the fact that the public tends to be extremely uh, fickle and have very short attention spans or memory spans, uh, and are able to come up with all sorts of narratives and justifications why they should believe this time that they're not telling, they're not lying this time that it's true this time. It's just one big game to try and uh, to manipulate the population, and of course they wouldn't keep manipulating the population or attempting to manipulate the population if the population weren't to a large extent, still manipulatable. Uh, you'd probably pretty much give up if people were immune to it, you know? But apparently people aren't immune to it, you know? Because I don't think these people are stupid enough to say, let's go with the chemical weapons or the weapons of mass destruction story again. Probably people will swallow it without having some... Uh, without being reasonably sure, or at least having believing that there's some chance that the people will actually believe it. We just have to do it in a particular way, you know? It's one thing to say Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and, and scaremonger in the media and stuff because it's very far away in Iraq. This time, what if it actually happened? What if we created a situation where it looks like they actually did, uh, the Russians this time, uh, you know, dropped some chemical weapons close to or on or near this guy and his, and his daughter in, in Little England, you know, in, in, in the green and lovely land in Salisbury, you know? Uh, Maybe that'll horrify people enough that we can get their emotional brain working and they'll just forget all about Saddam and his weapons of mass destruction. That's why critical thinking is very important in those situations. You know, you can't give in to emotional appeals to emotion or things that provoke your emotional reactions because, you know, you'd be fooled. And yeah. You'd be led down the garden path with that kind of situation. 
Um, I read somewhere that um, it was either an SCL or a Cambridge Analytica statement explicitly outlining in a, in a public document, perhaps on one of its websites, that we, we talk to people at the level of their emotions in order to get them to function right. as our clients wish. Right. And but that goes back to... Like I say, there's no secret here. There no. isn't really a scandal, but it's scandalized, you know. And that in itself, the, the campaign in itself, is an example of... If, if, somebody, if another company had been hired to do this to Cambridge Analytica, it would all make perfect sense. Because it's the hitting of the emotions and the facts. Uh, they're either overloaded with facts that... Ha- Conflicting. Uh, they're true, but they're... they're well, they don't stand out as anything unusual, but the slant on them can hit the, hit the point is you're hitting the emotional. And you're, you're doing, as they call it, you're using psychographics. Mm-hmm. This is like, they, they, think, they think they've hit the, the jackpot, you see. It used to be demographics. Now it's called psychographics. Well, it's, it's control over people, right? Yes. It's, it's, the, it's the lure and the attraction for some people of having control over not just some people, but millions and millions and millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of people, the potential that you could have, yeah. have control over, over what they do and think is like, is like, uh, it's like catnip to some Oh, some catnip. And Nick's public statement, I think it's in a TED Talk or something, in October 2016. Um, there's no secret about what he's doing. He, he is the quote, Today in the U.S., we have somewhere close to four or 5,000 data points on every individual. So we model the personality of every, every specific adult across the United States, some 230 million people. Now, I think he's, over- individual? Yeah, he's really? overstating the matter. You see, he's gone. It, that can be just being used against him mm-hmm. because they're not that smart. Right. They, don't, they, don't have, well, they might have that much raw data, but they don't have in, the intelligence to actually have an individual representation of think, each individual personality. Well, you wouldn't need to, would you, when you consider group dynamics? Right. I mean, that people will go with a herd and all that kind of stuff. There's lots of studies done in that in, in terms of people going with going with what other people do, you know. But on the, on the appeal to emotional, uh, the emotional level to affect functional or behavioral change, it goes back, I mean, it's not unusual. It's, mm. that's been, that was developed. 100 years ago, looked into 100 years ago, and since then, I mean, you're talking about uh, a more benign, so supposedly benign, but it's not really benign. Bernays. Like, yeah, Edward Bernays and uh, kind of basically mar- marketing. It's effectively marketing, you know. Yeah. Um, but the problem, and it, you know, it's an obvious or a basic example or a common example of it is, um, that's been around for a long time, is, you know, companies that sell, you know, products in the supermarket, you know, breakfast cereal or something like that, you know, and the way they'll actually do some, they'll get psychologists or uh, into to, do, to help them with their research in terms of designing the perfect type of box or the, and particular colors and particular sh- particular shapes on the box, etc., to increase their sales. That you know, so it's very closely uh, associated. Marketing marketing of products is very closely tied to uh, an understanding of human emotions and human uh, human psychology. So, and that's you know, okay, understandable. People are going to do that. They want to pitch their product to you. But whenever it's used in this case uh, in service to m- much more nefarious agendas. Of course, eating breakfast cereal like Cheerios and stuff is very nefarious for your health. Uh, so it's not that it's not that squeaky <laughs> clean at that level either. But at the level of, of leveraging that kind of ability or using that ability to 
to manipulate people's emotions in service to what is effectively, you know, pushing us along the road to a potential war, uh, a nuclear war with a with Russia or any other country uh, that has nukes in the world, is it like Iran or um, or North Korea? And Iran does have nukes, by the way. Um, it's obviously much more uh, serious and uh, much more nefarious. But still not as effective as the scandal would like us to believe. Because remember, the point is, they didn't see Brexit result coming. Mm. And they didn't see Trump's election coming. Oops, we made a mistake. Mm. What happened? Oh, let's let's blame Russia now. Let's blame Cambridge Analytica now. Let's, right. let's blame, let's call Bannon Hitler. Yeah. The point is, they, they, they cocked up. Mm. And this this is sort of papering over. It's, it's it's reinforcing their belief that they are actually that successful at their nefarious plans. When we're getting well, we're getting shifted. examples of their failures in recent years. Yeah, when they fail, they just shift, they just change, and, and they, they go with a new program basically. And uh, it's always they just shift in terms of maintaining control. And I mean, ultimately, it's control over over people and what they think and over, over populations. You know, and but yeah, it definitely has gone wrong for them in recent years, those two examples of, of Brexit and, and Trump uh, stand out as examples of them just like their predictions going horribly wrong and then be, and then being all, almost palpably uh, horrified, you know, the establishment being, oh my God, what the hell just happened here? But um, it's, yeah. What do you do? But they, they, like I said, they just they just shift, shift with the times, you know, and, and they're, their goal is to. It, it suggests to me that the reason they made those, they failed in that way, is because uh, there's something else going on. That no matter how much that they that they plumb the depths or the workings of human psychology and human emotion and how to manipulate people and get them to do exactly what you want, uh, no matter much how, no matter how much they they do that and think that they have it locked down, we can control these people just like sheep, basically. That there's something else at work at a, at a mass consciousness level that kind of intercedes and just uh, um, means that it doesn't work out the way they think it's going to work out, despite their, their their belief in their overweening control, you know. And also maybe it's the fact that they, the more you believe in your own power and abilities to control so many people, like a real Machiavellian kind of, wah, ah, ah, I can control everybody. Uh, there's a lot of self, there's got to be some self-delusion come in there or evidence that, that maybe isn't, it's not so easy that you can't control people in, in, in exactly that way, uh, they'll just dismiss it. Something that contradicts their belief. Well, these people are humans as well, obviously, to some extent. And uh, they, uh, you know, they've, they've got a lot of self-delusion and uh, wishful thinking going on there. So um, they're going to they're miss things. It's a tricky one. I agree with you on the one hand that people are fickle and easily swayed. But is it, is it everyone? Is it a lot of people are, but surely it's also the case that a lot of people are not. That's why when these super rich now nerds with their um, highly developed programs and data mining tailor results, you know, and God knows how they talk it up to, 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 to people they're selling it to, but... Um, for example, on the Trump issue, at the same time today, this so-called Trump base, as if it's a massive 
ubiquitous a herd of Americans is really peeved at Trump for particularly the latest developments in the last week. Um, basically giving the Democrats everything they wanted mm. in, in, in the U.S. budget. Um, and, and no money for the wall. Right. That, that same group would, would ditch Trump, so to speak, but not because it's fickle, but because it only attached itself to Trump in the first place because he was the first person in a long time to come along and tell them some of the things they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. It strikes me more that the, 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 there's a kind of a well of um, beliefs that are untapped even by these guys with their super high tech. And they, they, they can create a perfect representation of a person's choices, beliefs, what they'll think before they actually articulate it. And yet they don't have a clue about how they think. You know what I mean? It's like a it's like a two D person trying to evaluate someone in three D, but mm. they don't. There's all this. There's a lot of deep stuff as well. You don't understand really how these beliefs work. You see them on paper. You can see them if they're represented as dots on a chart, or or dots like tracked by GPS on a map. You see how they're moving and how they form these shapes. I can predict the pattern will go this way. They see that. They have access to fantastic amounts of information, but no substantive knowledge, at least for a large segment of the population that isn't actually fickle, but is, is far deeper than they are. Maybe not far deeper, but maybe a bit deeper, or that they're more, it's more complex. It's the, the human psychology and human emotions are more complex, and they, they're not so predictable uh, as certain people would like to think, you know, mm. that uh, given certain conditions... Uh, people will not react according to the the standard kind of uh, plan or what the, the way they're expected to 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 react. You know, it's it's the point is that there's always poss- there's always at any given point in time, no matter how predictable a person can be over over a long period of time. You know, you know, kind of Pavlovian dog kind of way where you just ring the bell and they salivate whatever it, over and over again. You can and you can think it. You're seeing a, a pattern established there, a predictable pattern. You never know that any at at a, at a given point in time that it won't that it will stop reacting that way. And that's the problem, is relying on, on something being fixed, almost down, locked down forever, that it will always react this way. Uh, the, things do change and, and conditions do change, and it's more than just human human uh, activity and human you know the human environment at, at work here. There's the actual, there's the global environment, there's the environmental environment, if you know what I mean, of the earth and the planet and the changes that are happening, uh, you know, to weather patterns and all that kind of stuff and, and shifts and demographic shifts and like I mean all the immigration and all that kind of stuff that's not something that they can necessarily predict either you know uh, they, just, they tend to these people tend to react to that you know and so there's a lot of new stuff mm. has happened over the past you know 10 or 15 years that is very unusual so uh, old predictions maybe don't don't work out so well anymore um, but then those people just take that on board the people these <coughs> Cambridge Analytica people just take that on board and input that into the system, and so the system has evolved now. It, it, it supposedly has evolved for that potential to change, or, or for things, or for pe- people not to be predictable anymore. So you put that in, and now they're predictable again, supposedly, until the next time it goes wrong, you know? So it's a stupid game to be playing in the first place, really, you know? Um, but these people just like having control over people, you know? What are you going to do? Well, but how much of it is actually, like, control and influencing people? Because... Like, a lot of the words that you were just using, Joe, are about how predictable people are. Now, I don't know, you know, I'm not in, in any of these tech industries. I'm not an expert in, you know, any of these technologies. 
but just coming at it from you know how i observe people and and trying to figure out how how to how to kind of weaponize that it really comes down to the fact that people are predictable and then you're basically trying to predict the direction that they would naturally go in Mm. you know given all of their proclivities and you know the tendencies they already have Mm. and then maybe like so you'd basically you find a a trump voter and then what what would you actually do to to influence them what are you trying to get get them to do to actually go to vote well you know and then it's the same thing with with potential hillary voters like how many people do you actually uh, well if you're looking at manipulating people how many like republicans can you get to vote democrat and how many democrats can you get to vote republican like that seems like a pretty tall order yeah for the most part because i mean those are pretty set categories and have been for years i mean there are trends over time but when it comes to actual like human manipulation of behavior it's like how much can they actually do like what are the what are the limits what in what narrow range are they actually manipulating people like I'd be interested in finding that out mm. and what narrow range are they manipulating people yeah because because people are predictable it's right. like you can't uh you, you can't total you can't drastically change or manipulate someone's behavior if they're predictable mm-hmm. um like that would be like okay, so we're gonna get some conservative um you know second amendment um kind of dude and then what manipulate him into supporting illegal immigration it's like that sounds like you know it's a it's a pipe dream yeah no but i think i think it's um it's looking at the way you know i suppose it, it has to coincide with what you want to happen obviously as well you know you don't just manipulate people just for the sake of it you actually look at the demographics you look at the way people think and you look at you know obviously you can say every people as a general rule think in a certain way they all have the same generally the same inclinations but that's at a very basic level. Above that, then you have different types of inclinations, as we talked about in previous shows, with the um, with the, book, the, the the idea of people having these moral taste buds and stuff, and, and they're, mm-hmm. they're different in that respect. And then that obviously manifests in different uh, support for different political parties and stuff. But I think it's about manipulating those people uh, to, mm-hmm. let's say, stay in those political parties, stay in those groups. Uh, and to yeah. not think outside the box, that kind of thing. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. more about how an understanding of how you can push people's emotional buttons to, to to not to change necessarily, but to stay the way they are. Mm-hmm. You know, to keep buying the same product. You know, mm-hmm. um, or if there's a new product, then you know, make them buy that one, but it's not really any different. You know, a new brand of Cheerios, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, the Guardian today. The headlines are running in their Cambridge Analytica themed section. It's all about Brexit. Um, the Brexit files. Why young believers, oh, that's funny, were perfect for the campaign. Data firm for Vote Leave has links to Cambridge Analytica. Insider claims Vote Leave may have breached spending limits. And then the top one, did they just use me? Was I naive? Brexit whistleblower speaks out. Uh, the, the message I'm getting from that is you were duped. And that's it. And it totally overlooks the decades of in, indigenous, it, that is UK, especially in England, beef with the EU project and Brussels and its involvement in mm-hmm. 
It's just glance it over. It's just a surface issue. It was just it was just about the specific campaign, as as if specific campaigns alone are what decide elections, right. and not these big under undercurrents well, of well culture, a cultural identity and a, and a a national identity basically and a national way of thinking. And I mean, I've maybe I'm biased in this, but I I would make the argument that that uh, English people in particular have a particular. Um, well, they have a particular cultural heritage, and they have a particular way of thinking about themselves and about the rest of the world that is that is different from, uh, let's say, in a general sense, different from um, other European peoples. Uh, it's about na- they're much more nationalist, uh, nationalistic. Uh, they have a tendency to be more nationalistic and to uh, think. And of course, nationalism usually only happens when there's a lot of pride or can, that can cross over into arrogance uh, about your own. Uh, nation and your own position in the world. I mean, you can go back to like the British Empire and all that kind of stuff, and you know, rule Britannia. Britannia rules the waves, and we won the war, all that kind of stuff. You know, and then an example of it is the way you know British football supporters or uh, some section of them behave, uh, as they were behaving just recently, a couple of days ago, in, in Amsterdam, throwing cans of beer at people in Amsterdam, and uh, as they were passing on the canals underneath and uh, throwing bikes, um, Amsterdam's full of bicycles, were thrown bicycles owned by other people into the canals and stuff. These were British um, football supporters. And they're a good example of the mentality. I mean, they're an extreme example of that mentality, but that mentality, to a, to a, to a lesser extent, exists within a lot of English people. And it's like, basically, we rule the world. So you can see how that would, in a referendum on whether or not to leave the EU and stand on your own, you know, would would tend to make it more likely that you would have a, a yes to to stand up for English values, uh, national values, no separate from everybody. We can we can go it on our own basically. Screw the the foreigners, you know. Uh, that that's more prevalent in my opinion in English mental in the English mentality than it is in, in other European mentalities. Um, so I'm not surprised <clears throat> that that it happened, that Brexit happened, given the few years of campaigning with UKIP and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, we better move on to other topics here. Um, what else is there? Well, Harrison, what have we got on the latest developments in this Skripal alleged poisoning in England? Well, so far it seems that uh, things are kind of dying down. Uh, that's at least the way it appears over the last week of coverage. Um, if the the UK government, like if if May and Bojo and Gavin Williams had, had any kind of, or and the, you know the people behind them had any plans for taking this very very much further than it's already gone, then it seems like those plans haven't really gone anywhere because um, there was a meeting with uh, what's it called like the the European Council and the so essentially the EU all the all the UK's current partners um, released a statement. Um, May, of course, was hoping for a, a full-throated, um, um, you know, agreement with uh, the UK government's current take on the alleged uh, poisoning by Russia. And instead, what we've had for like the past week have has been like a very watered-down um, agreement. Instead, so for example, before the <clears throat> the official statement from the EU was put out, um, like I've just got a few quotes here, like German, uh, Germany. Uh, one of the you know g- government uh, spokesmen had said that, that there's no def- no definitive proof for the UK's claims. Austria 
you know, a, an Austrian spokesperson had said that they that they need to establish the full picture with the cooperation of the OPCW before assigning blame. Um, of course, there were the the statements from the French, the early statement from the the French, uh, I believe it was the spokesperson for Macron, um, saying that we don't do fantasy politics, and basically, again, there's no no definitive proof. And there were similar statements that came from Hungary, Bulgaria, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Cyprus, and Greece. And the the Greek spokesman said, "There's no smoking gun." Um, so the the statement came out apparently the result of several kind of uh, you know conversations and negotiations. And the interesting thing about the the final statement is that it makes reference to the quote ongoing investigation, um, and it used words from May's initial statement from, I believe it was March 12th, where she said that it was uh, highly likely that Russia was behind the attack and that there are no plausible alternative explanations. Um, now, two days after that, uh, May put out another statement, like definitively tying it to Russia. So it's interesting that the EU decided not to go with any of the UK government's definitive statements and to basically roll back to the earlier statement, which is um, while on the surface it sounds pretty, you know, condemnatory, if that's a word, against uh, Russia, there's lots of wiggle room in the language, like the, the highly likely. Um, you know, if something's highly likely, that doesn't mean it's definitive, and if, and that's not even a, um, like a threshold for proof to find someone guilty in the court of law. So, so that's interesting. And then no plausible alternative explanations. Well, that's just another weasel word because... Um, you can find something, you know, implausible, and then when evidence comes around, that that alternative explanation can then become plausible. So they basically, in that initial statement, they said they they were essentially saying that they had no proof and that this was just their guesswork, and that's the statement that the the EU decided to go along with. So they haven't um, haven't given their full support to the you know the full propaganda line that has been. Uh, put forward by the UK government up to this point. So that might be a disappointment for for May and all of her supporters. Mm-hmm. Now, just some interesting, uh, some interesting things about what's been going on. Um, um, just some more statements from people from the UK government. So, for example, May told reporters when she got back from the EU summit, she said that uh, Russia staged a brazen and reckless attack against the United Kingdom it's clear that the Russian threat does not respect borders, and indeed, the incident in Salisbury was a pattern of Russian aggression against Europe and its near neighbors. Um, so, nonsense and contradicted by the you know the statement that the EU actually made. And then um, we talked about what Gavin Williams said said last week. Um, you know, the whole "shut up and go away" comment. Now, before the Skripal thing had even happened, he had. Uh, he had come out saying that the the Russians were planning to kill Britons by the quote hundreds or quote thousands and thousands and thousands end quote. Mm. So just kind of give the you know an idea of the level of uh, well you know the level of intellect and uh, um, professionalism that comes out of the current you know defense secretary of the UK. And then uh, you know our favorite uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, Neil wrote an article this week where uh, on. Bojo's statement that, uh, well, the quote he said was, I think the comparison with 1936 is certainly right. 1936 being, uh, what was it, the the Olympics hosted by uh, by Germany, Nazi yes. Germany? Yeah. And he said, it is an, 
how do you pronounce the word? Emetic prospect Emetic, to yeah. think of emetic prospect to think of Putin glorifying in this sporting event. And emetic, you know, induces vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, the Romans used emetics, you know, they'd eat a lot of food and then induce vomiting so they could eat some more. Um, other cultures have done that too. But mm-hmm. so, so Bojo is essentially saying that it makes him vomit to think of Putin glorifying in a sporting event, which is... Uh, well, yeah. I, uh, that's great. I think Russia should host more sporting sporting events, um, you know, in the hopes that Bojo can, uh, you know, vomit some more. Um, He's. Uh, like I, prefer, I prefer not to call him Bojo. I prefer to call him um, Billius Bob Bil- Billius Bobblehead uh, <laughs> Boris. Boris. Yeah, Billius Bobblehead Boris, or, or just Bobblehead Boris will do. Just Bobblehead. Uh, yeah. Boris the Turk. You know, his grandfather was Turkish. Yeah. Yeah, Bobble. are you one of the young Turks? Actually, he's such a he's such a nightmare. That guy. I mean, how I don't know. Well, let's just start. I don't know. He's he's a good represent representation of, of the British establishment, really. To be honest, he's actually a, yeah. Well, what he's, is, a picture, he should be, he's a poster boy for them because he really does represent everything they are and stand for. So um, yeah, he what also did he said say that, today. He said well. He said also that uh, Putin, Putin, Russia, the the Skripal. Or sorry, the the World Cup uh, this year, this summer in Russia. Um, no, sorry, get my my stories mixed up here. Crimea. He referenced Crimea and said that Crimea uh, was he equated it effectively to the Nazi invasion of the Sudetenland yes. in, in Czech and yeah. uh, Czechoslovakia uh, in 1938. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. It's a it's a perfect. Uh, it's a, an opposite. Uh, appropriate uh, analogy or, or uh, comparison to make. Uh, what do you do? I mean, except that it you... isn't because the British gave the Sudetenland and then all of Czech- Czechoslovakia yeah. to Hitler in 1938. Right. Hence, it's gone down in history as the appeasement. Right. So no, it's not comparable. It's inverted. But hey, that's that's British. <laughs> use of analogies for you um they should never ever bring up history because there are mm-hmm. countless examples you can use against them um i i want to dispute your dis your distinguishing you you you've described the eu's statement on the scripal issue as a watered down and not what the UK was hoping for. I don't know. I'm reading the British press, uh, the Independent article here, headline. This from today, I think. The last 24 hours proved the EU is Britain's only true friend, and gives a glowing account of how May was practically fated in Brussels. You know, applaud to applause, and how she's handling uh, this Russian chemical weapons attack on British soil. Uh, Washington Post, similar. EU leaders back Britain in blaming Russia over spy poisoning. Photos of May uh, at the EU Council in Brussels. Lots of backslaps with EU bigwigs and Merkel and co. Um, I yeah, and then the specific details. Apparently, what they were discussing was future security arrangements in the event that Britain's, well, they have to talk like it's a fact that it's going to leave. And what they came out with was a commitment to deepen Britain's participation in European security Mm -hmm. 
and external mm. affairs. Deepen. Britain's not leaving the EU. It's getting in deeper. Yeah. It might leave in some respects. There'll be some kind of... They'll conjure something where no, it's change, left... Change the colour of their passports. Change the colour of their passports. Not wave the EU flags. Where you can bet your bottom dollar that the Brits will be all along Russia's border. Mm-hmm. Just like it currently is. Yeah. I think they're just biding their time. They're just dragging the whole thing out and eventually it's not going to happen in one way or another. They'll have some justification for it not happening. Or, as I've been, mo- been mooting uh, this past week, um, the idea of a second referendum. I think they're just going to drag it out and eventually it's going to be so torturous and, and annoying for most people. They'll justify having another referendum just to see what really happened and then they'll say, oh no. And it'll just be this stupid thing that happened, the ridiculous, you know, fecklessness of these people, you know. Uh, it'll go down in history as this, like, period of idiocy, you know. Um, but, you know, they're happy enough for that because those people, that's how they um, justify their positions, you know. Politicians are just, uh, just in it for first, in it to win it, in it to stay in the in the game and stay, stay, stay important, you know, uh, to keep their jobs and keep making money. So um, most of them, anyway, especially the ones towards the top, you know. So they're, they're just justifying their positions across the board. So as long as they can drag stuff out and have constitutional crises of some some description, then that's that's job justification right there. When you when you when you mess things up, as long as you don't mess it up so much that you could boot it out of office or you create a scandal where you can't actually. Your, your position is no longer tenable. But if you mess things up just, just enough without having to leave, then you've justified your position. You're going to stay there for a while. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. keep getting, uh, keep suckling from the, from the taxpayers' teeth. Um, All week long, the Russians have given some great responses to mm-hmm. this affair. They're just awesome. I mean, from the British ambassador in the UK giving a press conference at the Russian embassy in London. Fantastic. Go look for Listen to it. It's about 45 minutes long. It's funny. Um, and it's instructive. Uh, the Russians also made the unusual step of recalling all their ambassadors globally for a, a kind of a meeting, but it was really a press conference because the cameras were there. Uh, I suppose it was a public, open, town hall type meeting with all the ambassadors. That's a couple hours long, but there's a fantastic transcript already written up. We put it on the south page. Again, it just takes it apart. Um, it, it lays out the facts as they can be known because there are hardly any facts to deal with here as yet. It's insinuations and assumptions, starting with the name of the alleged um, substance, Novichok, all the way through to what hospitals are they in? Where are they now exactly? The police officer has been released from hospital, apparently. He's fine. Mm-hmm to the statement of the a doctor who attended to the Skripals who said, no, no one here suffered from any nerve poisoning. So, again, I, I, that brings me back to this, this quote from uh, Cambridge Analytica saying, or was it SCL, whichever, the British data mining company saying that uh, their hard sell at a defense industry con- um, conference that we can convince your, your your populations, if you like, that a chemical weapons attack has happened. <laughs> and it hasn't. We can, we can organize the whole thing from start to finish. And uh, yeah, you, you owe your money back, guaranteed. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what happened here. Um, I, I did a little peripheral digging. They, they have a way of just exposing themselves. I suppose 
the Russians gave fascinating counterpoints all week long. But no one's going to hear them. No, um, not mm-hmm. many are going to hear them unless they go looking for them, right? Unless you're already tuned into RT, it's on your feed or something. So th- this is kind of – it doesn't really upset the Apple, Apple car too much because, well, it, they've been tarnished by reputation as much as possible over the last couple of years. Any Russian media is fake news, right? And uh, it, it just isn't piped in to – the audience that counts on the evening news. Mm. So, unfortunately, there's, there's no... That's what that's what's horrible about it. There'll be no grand exposure, just like with mm. everything else, you know. It'll just be... If you have some doubts, you go and find it, and you, then you get the answer. Mm. Um, I, think the, I think the Russians, though, if they, they want access to the... To the files, you know, to what's actually happening. That's what they've been repeatedly asking for is, is mm. access to the investigation so they can uh, play a part in it, basically, or, or tell them, yeah, we did it, or, or, you know, they're saying they didn't do it, obviously, and, you know. Uh, but they want access to, to more information. They're not being given any access to any information at all. Um, but apparently there's some, um, there's an allegation now that our, I think the Russians will, as they get, eventually they'll have to get more, some kind of information about what was going on, you know, as the, as the British government puts together, the Department of Defense puts together its story, gets its story straight, basically, and cobbles it together after they make the allegation, obviously, uh, that they'll have to present something, and, and that's already happening, I think, and there's a story on Sputnik now where uh, there's, a, the Russian, there's a Russian scientist who's basically saying that the, the type of <clears throat> gas or nerve agent that was uh, was used on Skripal was designated as A234. Um, and he said that this was being developed, they have evidence that this was being developed by Americans in, in America. That's a site of development of this particular nerve agent that was used. So, you know, they're going to they're gonna continue to put out that, those kind of counter, counter arguments and they've every right to do so. Uh, but as to whether or not, it would be interesting, it would be nice to, to see the, the, the bobblehead Johnson and Co. caught with their pants down over over this, you know. Um, but yeah, maybe that's a hope too far. Well, he's already like, he'll be caught with his pants down, like in various ways. But they'll be kind of uh, you know covered up and not not reported on in that manner. Like he was right. recently asked by uh, I think it was Deutsche Welle, right? Um, about oh well, so you guys you know you did the test and determined that. Uh, that this was the poison used, um, well, then surely you have, you know, samples to, t- to test it by. And he said, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, at, you know, admitted that... Down, yeah. At Porton Down, So that he admitted, uh, which, you know, anyone could have guessed, and, you know, we did on the show last week, that the UK has these samples already. That's how they were able to make the determination that this was well, what was allegedly thing. used. I mean, that, that piece of information is enough for any rational person to kind of, like, just throw the, throw the British government case out altogether. Because mm-hmm. what, what that actually means is that, you just take the bare facts of it, the bare facts of the case is that a Russian dude and his daughter were poisoned with some kind of chemical or nerve agent uh, in the UK. And mm-hmm. the place where they were poisoned, seven or eight miles from there, 10 kilometers from there, the nerve agent that was used to poison them was in stock. Mm-hmm. That's the first fact of the case. Well, that's really the only fact of the case. And yeah. the allegation is that rather than them being poisoned by that nerve agent that was eight, seven or eight miles away, 
it was the Russians who brought it all the way from Mar- from Russia, transporting across, you know, national borders, got it into the UK and got it to this location and then they poisoned them with their their version of it or their sample of it. I mean, just Occam's razor, which is most likely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're, I don't know, <laughs> what's the analogy? I don't know if there's what, what a good analogy is, but I mean, the fact that you're poisoned by something and it exists eight miles away, that's where, that's where you look, you know, that's when a rational person looks for the first, for the first uh, in, in the first kind of steps of, the, of, of investigating and, and trying to come up yeah. with who did it, you know? Why would you? Mm-hmm. I mean, the only, the only, the only reason that, uh, that it's uh, alleged that, that you could allege that Russia did this is because this guy was a Russian. And then you have to go into the everybody knows, you know, the everybody knowery kind of stuff where it's like every everybody knows that Russia is evil. Everybody knows that Putin is an evil person. Everybody knows that Putin kills lots of people. And he kills former spies. Ergo, he did it. He did kill this guy. That's that's the argument, you know. Um mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it's just nonsense, you know? And I mean, even there's reports, although I think the Kremlin has actually dismissed them, but there's there were reports or allegations from unknown source or whatever that this guy, Scribble, had just not long before the poisoning had uh, requested to be uh, to be repatriated, to, to be allowed to come back to Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, that actually came from, the guy was named, um, he did it on the record, it was a, a friend of Scribble's named uh, Timoshkov, Oh right, yeah, and uh, yeah. So he told the news that, uh, that he right. knew that Ripple had just made that request. Right. So you know this guy, this, this guy Scripple, his, uh, his his the fact that he has been in the UK uh, for the past eight years means that the any sense of information that he had access to was of uh, was was British. Right was to the extent that he was still obviously he was still in the employ of in one way or another being protected by British uh, intelligence services that brought him there in the first place. They were obviously keeping him. I suspect that he was probably working in some capacity at Porton Down, uh, or certainly he was working still working in some capacity or doing some kind of work for British intelligence because they were effectively his employers since he moved there in uh, in 2010. So uh, any sense of information that he may have had access to was British in nature. Um, therefore, the, uh, the threat, if there's any threat in him, the threat posed by him is posed to the British because especially if he was planning to go back to Russia, he was going to go, mm-hmm. go back to Russia possibly and take British intelligence information with him. Now, so who has the, mo- the motive in that situation to, to want to kill him? The Russians? Actually. Have you heard of Exercise Toxic Dagger? No. Yes. This was a British Royal Marine exercise that concluded March 7th on Salisbury Plain involving 300 military personnel, including RAF, in cooperation with Experts from the chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear warfare department. It's not a separate department. Anyway, it's a kind of a sub-agency based in Salisbury to see if people could, if they could cope with a worst-case scenario. They held an exercise called it Toxic Dagger in Salisbury 
just prior to, I think they said it was running for two or three weeks, three-week exercise. What day did it end right. on? What? What day, did it, what day did it end on? It's not was it the clear, but this press release is on March 7th. Okay, because Skripal was poisoned on March 4th. 4th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Salisbury is... Uh, the Salisbury Plain is like... It's basically where all... you All the biggest um, training exercises for the UK take place. Training both for, for troops. They, they, it's a live testing range um, for aircraft artillery, everything like that. It's also a testing range for new weapons because two of Britain's largest weapons manufacturers are based in Salisbury. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another government agency based there as well. The defense, MOD, that's what it is. The, the MOD, Chemical, Biological, Radiological and Nuclear Center. Salisbury. United Kingdom. <laughs> so th- this... <laughs> This place, like, it's... Yeah, there are a lot of strange tales, actually, um, involving all kinds of things. Strange lights in the sky, you know, UFO sightings and all sorts of stuff in this area. This is like... This is Britain's... It's at least a portion of its military-industrial complex. And it's this area, Nevada, Area 51, Nevada style. And it's a serious proving ground. And they hold exercises there all the time, but right when this happened, they hold a specific one involving exactly the number of personnel, pretty much, who were actually called out to deal with the incident in Salisbury, about 200 or so military personnel. It's good cover to get people in. Isn't it beautiful? <clears throat> get them in and poison scribble without being, uh, you know, without sticking out or, or causing any, any suspicions, you know. So, yeah, I mean, we know they do that, but... They've done that in previous situations where they have uh, drills uh, right before kind of terror attacks and stuff like that. That has happened quite often, so it seems to be like used as a cover, you know. Uh, yeah, but the whole thing is ridiculous. I mean, to, um, over in Syria this week, as eastern Ghouta, east of Damascus, was cleared out, mm-hmm. the the Syrians showcased um, a cache of weapons. They said they had caught in transit being shipped in some forty tons worth. And then they laid it all out. This is reported by Sputnik. Um, you know, laid out the shells, the mortars, some guns, and so on. But there's a, a brief second where they have a zoom in on a canister of something. It looks like smoke. It says white smoke. Mm. And it says Salisbury, England. Mm-hmm. And there's a company name under it. And at first I was like, I can't find this company. I did eventually. I tracked them down. It's, it, all you see, the, le- the lettering is a bit rubbed out, but it's UCPA. And then a few letters are illegible. Payne's Wessex. Hyphen Wessex Limited. Payne's Wessex Limited is a subsidiary of Chemring, which is one of Britain's largest manufacturers. And they specialize in basically chemical weapons. They don't advertise that too loudly because most of it is for, they say it's for producing decoys. Hence why this smoke bomb Mm -hmm was among the, it's, it's to create confusion, a bit like a flashbang or something like that. And I thought that was, that was a really interesting, I don't think it's, it's not telling, I mean, it looked like an old canister. Who knows old, from yeah. where the, the stock of storage is from 1960s. in the interim. But Salisbury, England, it's, it's, it's the nerve center of 
the production, the mass production of chemical and biological weapons that are that that they're hitting the Russians with, but the Russians at least officially have eliminated their stocks of such. And Porting Down will never, ever do the same. It's alive and well. It, the Porting Down is, is Porting Down is really the name of the place, but they they privatized off a large section of the stuff for international sales. That's called Quinetec these days, or Kinetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Q I N T E. IQ, something fancy like that. But that's another massive chemical weapons manufacturer, among other weaponry, based in Salisbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, they've taken the whole kind of like accusing other people what what they're doing themselves to a ridiculous uh, level, basically, where they're, the British are uh, in the process of uh, producing and sending or facilitating the movement of chemical weapons to terrorists, to jihadist, you know, 9-11 attacker terrorists uh, in Syria to use against the Syrian government to, so that, or to, to, use, to use against the Syrian population. So you, you British, British government, Department of Defense is facilitating the movement of chemical weapons into Syria to use against Syrian civilians. And not uh, because and they think it'll give the terrorists military advantage. Because it'll give them a means to make it seem like the Syrian government is doing it, so that they can hit it internationally, right? <laughs> and and in and in the process, they are uh, while they're doing that, they're actually and of course Russia is in in Syria, and in the process, they uh, they're demonizing Russia. Mm. Or maybe the, the important point or the point that I was trying to make is that uh, they're sending chemical weapons into Syria to be used by their jihadis against the Syrian civilian population in order to demonize Russia for siding with the Syrian government. Uh, of course, they accuse the Syrian government of, of using these chemical weapons once they're jihadis that have used them. And then they blame Russia for participating in some way in the use of chemical weapons by the Syrian government when it was actually the West or the British's, British government's jihadis who used them. While they're doing all that, they are using a chemical weapon back home in England against a Russian spy and blaming Russia for using chemical weapons. I mean, it's just, it takes the idea of doing, accusing others of what you're doing yourself to just a ridiculous, a ridiculous level. It's to a pathological level, you know, it's one thing just Mm -hmm. to accuse someone else of what you're doing yourself, but at that level, it's just like, uh, that's like, you know, that's master level uh, psycho, basically, uh, psycho, psycho liar. So um, the only other big development this week was that um, the evil Ned Flanders, <coughs> uh, also known as John Bolton, um, was um, has is now has now an official position in the White House, which he well he had before years ago. Yeah, he was well, he was Bush's he national was, security advisor too. Uh, he wasn't national security advisor, was he? No, no, something. He wasn't national. He was never national security. This is the highest position he's really ever had, I think, uh, at least in, in the prestige levels or in, in terms of proximity to the president and access to uh, decision making and stuff like that. Because effectively, he's he'll be advising the president on national security issues, which includes pretty much everything, domestic and foreign. So, um, yeah, and he still has that moustache. Um, John Bolton is, I don't know, he's a, 
He's he's a quintessential warmonger, really. Um, yeah, you know all of the other neocons. He doesn't like to call himself a neocon, but maybe he's in his own category, really. Maybe he's right to not call himself a neocon. Uh, yeah, in fact, I think he said he's not a neocon because he's not interested in spreading democracy. He's just interested in bombing countries. He actually said that because he thinks neocons were all about spreading democracy. But at least they were, you know, spreading democracy. Huh? That's more honest than. Well, yeah, but it's the kind of honesty that should get you put in prison. Like, it's, right. not, it's not the kind of honesty that's laudable, you know. Of course uh, not. Uh, it's uh, it's like no, I, I'm not interested in spreading freedom and democracy. I'm just in, interested in spreading bombs around the world, you know, and um, American bombs and blowing up countries. And he, so he's on record, obviously, as you know, he was still backs the Iraq War, and he still believes in Saddam's weapons of mass destruction. Uh, he has uh, lobbied for and advocated the uh, preemptive nuclear attacks on Iran and North Korea, more or less. Uh, he still advocates for that to this day. And in fact, just last year, actually, he was, uh, to give you an example, we'll let the man speak for himself. Uh, last year in July, he was at a, a, a kind of MEK, you know, um, uh, rally basically in Paris uh, where he was talking to the faithful, the, all the exiled Iranian dissidents, let's say, uh, Iranian terrorist types. Uh, like the MEK, basically, who are held up in, uh, in in France these days. Well, this is a group that pitches itself as the yeah. government in exile of Iran in much the same way as the LIFG in Libya before that, that kicked off the war there, and then the so-called Syrian moderate opposition. Yeah. Well, there's one other thing before we get to him, <clears throat> get to his actual words. He said, just to flesh it out, in, in May 2002... He gave a speech called entitled "Beyond the Axis of Evil," and he, he, you know, if you probably remember the Axis of Evil, which was Iran, Iraq, and uh, North Korea, Bush, Bush, W. Bush's uh, Axis of Evil. But he, Bolton, wasn't happy with with such a small number of peop- uh, countries in the Axis of Evil. There's far more, you know, out there to be bombed and invaded and stuff. Uh, so he wanted to add to them, and he added to them uh, Cuba, Libya, and Syria. So for him, it was the Axis of Evil was wasn't an axis really; it was more like uh, I don't know. A shopping list. A shopping list of evil. And it was, you know, Iran, Iraq, North Korea, uh, Cuba, Libya, and Syria. So he, That's Bol- very Bol- close Bol- to... Bolton's been gunning for, for Libya and Syria since 2002. And uh, we know what happened to Libya uh, five or six years ago. And we know what happened to Syria as well. Um, yeah, he wanted to group them. He included them in the groups of state sponsors of terrorism and their potential to pursue weapons of mass destruction, blah, 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 blah. Uh, when you hear that weapons of mass destruction, evil regime, what you really understand, what you should really understand is that there's just someone who isn't playing ball with the Americans, who does not want to be a, a do what America wants it to do, basically. Um, yeah, so let's hear uh, John Bolton. Here he is. For the first time in at least eight years that I've been coming to this event, I can say that we have a president of the United States who is completely and totally opposed to the regime in Tehran. The changed circumstances in the United States, I think throughout Europe uh, and here today, are so important. There is a viable opposition to the rule of the Ayatollahs, and that opposition is centered in this room today. I've said for over 10 years since coming to these events 
that the declared policy of the United States of America should be the overthrow of the Mullah's regime in Tehran. The behavior and the objectives of the regime are not going to change, and therefore the only solution is to change the regime itself. And that's why before 2019, we here will celebrate in Tehran. There you go. So before 2019, uh, and John Bolton, I mean, if he, was, he was saying that last summer. Uh, he wasn't. He was just a Fox News contributor with a funny mustache. Uh, now he's the national security advisor to Trump. So he's got the rest of this year. He's got another nine months to uh, affect the uh, uh, regime change as he as he's been hoping for and wishing for for so long in Iran. And uh, the overthrow, as he explicitly said there, the overthrow of the, of the Iranian government. And he wants the U.S. military in some way or other, along, probably along with Israel, because he's a staunch, you can imagine he's a staunch uh, Zionist and, and Israel, Israel supporter. Uh, he would like Israel to bomb Iran as well. Um, so he's got to the end of this year, if he wants to do it before 2019, he's got to the end of this year to overthrow the Iranian government and to usher in, uh, well, he won't usher in freedom and democracy because he said he's not, all about, he's not about the freedom and democracy. So he'll just usher in the bombs and then find out what happens afterwards. Um, John Bolton was not just a Fox News commentator uh, who got a promotion. Uh, I found this when I was looking at Cambridge Analytica. Um, There's a big tie-in between Bolton and Robert Mercer, Mm -hmm. this um, tycoon hedge fund manager who does not like, who shuns the public light. He's unusual in that respect, I suppose. Um, Apparently Mercer's own, it's not as simple as I'm super rich, therefore I buy you. The, you know politics. You, you you need to get the right people in order to get your in and fund specific packs in the U.S. political action committees. Well, apparently John Bolton, all these years that he's been not in government, has his own super PAC. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had quite quite a lot of influence. Even in, and then he was pro-Trump at least after he was elected. So he's been on. He's been buttering Trump's rear. Bond. Um since then, and he's been angling. Even he's John Bolton has been on Fox News and been prepared to defend Trump mm. and poo-poo the whole Russia angle. So he's been saying the right things. Um, and Bolton is replacing McMaster. And to all those people who have been calling, I think they were right that H.R. McMaster was controlling Trump, and they didn't like. They weren't sure, but they just didn't like the side of him. That he needs to get out. He's part of the deep state. He's part of the swamp. Well, he's been fired and he's been replaced with another horrible monster mm. straight out of the swamp. Um, he does sound like Ned Flanders as well, doesn't he? I thought he sounded like... He reminded me of George Bush. W. Mm-hmm. Uh, no? <laughs> I just can't start. I can't not think of Ned Flanders when I hear him talk and, and I see him. Uh, he's got the tash. He's... He's just evil. He's Ned Flanders' uh, evil twin. Um, yeah. So that's what's that's what that's what we're looking staring down the face of here, folks. That's what's happening um, in the news. It's just it's been a protracted, you know, drawn out period of over the past few years of just Russia bashing, Russia this, I mean, in case you haven't noticed, you know, okay, Trump's been in there and they will upset that Trump caused, but I mean, it's getting tiring at this point, then, you know, the whole Mueller investigation, it's, well, it's like over a year now, a year and two months of not just, not, I don't mean the Mueller investigation, but this, you know, anti-Trump, bashing Trump, 
uh, Russia anti-Russia investigation, uh, which is really what it is primarily. It's about demonizing Russia. That's for a year and two months. That's been going on more really. If you go back to before, talk of Russia before the uh, after just before the the elections <clears throat> and afterwards. So it's been really 18 months of of Russia bashing uh, in America by America. Uh, you know, over everything, over American elections, Trump's election, over Syria, um, and everything else they can think of. And now this most recent uh, poisoning in the UK is just simply more Russia bashing. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of tiring, uh, really, um, to just see them harp on all the time with really no no evidence, no, no hard evidence for, for any of their uh, allegations. And, of course, we know what the reason is behind it, you know, simply because uh, Russia poses a threat to American global hegemony and they want to take them down as far as possible in whatever way they can. And we just have to sit here and watch it all go go on and try and, well, it's not hard not to believe any of the of the BS because it's so, such flagrant BS. Certainly when if you understand the reason behind it, you can, when someone's got a, a thing, you know, a vendetta against someone else and you see them start making up all sorts of rumors and lies because you know they hate the person, um, well, you're pretty much immune to all the all the lies, you know. You know why they're doing it. You know whenever they say Russia did this, just to go, oh, dude, you know, you need to get over your hatred of Russia, you know. But they're not going to get over it, unfortunately, because it's an existential crisis, or so they see. So, so, so they see it. It's an existential problem for for America. Russia is. Uh, so we just have to um, put up with it until the cows come home. Until it all falls apart. Um, there were major protests in the US this week with these student walkouts, kids walking out of schools. Uh, I think there have been two major national days, one just yesterday, one the week before March 14th, the same again as planned for mid-April. Um, I... I I just, I cannot believe, I mean, they're not accepting it. Parents are speaking out against this. Um, it, it's flagrant. I mm. mean, school kids, if they're not already induced to go do it, who doesn't want a day off school, right? right. Then they're they're told to get out and go with everyone else. This is a protest. And then parading all these 14, 13-year-olds in front of cameras uh, and and having them say some things like, I mean, that David Hogg is up there again. Uh, he says, I say to politicians, get your resumes ready. And another thing they have them saying is, welcome to the revolution. Either represent the people or get out. Um and then the crowd responds with chance of vote them out. I think that what they've done is they've weaponized the, the fallout from the Parkland shooting and they're angling to get as much out of they can, uh, as much out of it as they can with a view to flipping the House in November, mm -hmm. Democrat. Mm -hmm. At that stage, there's curtains for Trump. It's not necessarily that they will impeach him or successfully impeach him thereafter, but he's totally hamstrung when he's got the media and now then Congress. He's already hamstrung. This week he signed away everything. It just overturned all of his domestic commitments. 
by signing off on. He had no he had no choice in the matter really. It was a done deal. It was stitched up for him. The biggest budget ever when he promised to cut back on wasteful spending. Uh, he says he had to, he had no choice because he, he he needed to get an increase in the U.S. military budget. So he's got the military talking to him in one ear. You have to do this. National security. Okay, I have to. And then he's got the Democrats over here and they have everything they wanted and more and there's going to be no wall, no repeal of DACA, nothing. So Trump is pretty much already toast and I think people, I think people really, I think they sense that, you know, that, that resentment is going to go somewhere. This is this is to watch out for. People don't just take that line down. They might initially, but they, it builds again, and the undercurrents come out in crazier ways the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he did he did some good things though. I mean, this past week or two, he had the MBS, the uh, the Saudi uh, boy king, uh, king in waiting, and Mohammed bin 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 bombing Yemen. You're being sarcastic, right? Uh, Some good things. Well, he did. Well, have a listen. Have a listen. We've become very good friends over a fairly short period of time. Uh, I was in Saudi Arabia in May, and we are bringing back hundreds of billions of dollars into the United States, and we understand that, and they understand that some of the things that have been approved and are currently under construction and will be delivered Saudi Arabia very soon, and that's for their protection. But if you look in terms of dollars, $3 billion, $533 million, $525 million, that's peanuts for you. Should have increased it. Some of the things that we're now working on, thanks, and that have been ordered and will uh, shortly be started in construction and delivered, TAD system, $13 billion. The C-130 airplanes, the Hercules, great plane, $3.8 billion. The Bradley vehicles, that's the tanks, $1.2 billion. And the P-8 Poseidons, $1.4 billion dollars. And what it does is it really means uh, many, many jobs. We're talking about over 40,000 jobs. We really have a great friendship, a great relationship. I would really have to say the relationship was, to put it mildly, very, very strained during the Obama administration. And uh, the relationship now is probably as good as it's really ever been. We're good friends over a fairly short period of time. Uh, I was in Also defense. We're talking about defense and we're working very hard with Saudi Arabia and they're also footing a big part of the bill for defense. The whole Middle East. We know what's happened in the Middle East and it has not been a pretty picture for the United States or for anybody. The Saudis are footing the bill for a big part of defense of the Middle East. I wonder what I meant by that. I mean, like 100,000 jihadis overrunning Syria, perhaps, and all the weapons uh, they needed. Yeah, good job. That's that's what Trump is supporting, and he's bringing. But he's making jobs. He's great, creating jobs for America. So 40,000 jobs out of um, selling massive amounts of military supplies to uh, Saudi Arabia, so it can continue to bomb um, 
in Yemen, and probably a lot of those weapons, uh, part of the, those shipments of weapons, will, will end up in the hands of um, radical jihadists in Syria and in other countries in the Middle East. And that's what he means by defense of the Middle East. Um, it's selling American weapons to the Saudis, the totalitarian head chopper regime, which uh, so, much, so, so embodies American values. It's just, uh, it's huge. So um, that's what Trump's all about. But, you know, as long as you're getting the jobs, you keep people happy, creating jobs in America, keep people happy, that's all it's about, you know, and, uh, and keeping, the, keeping the world safe for, for, for America to, to keep, uh, to stay on top of the pile. People aren't happy. Who aren't happy? People are going crazy. People are very happy. Like, you get a sense of how them now. Of how crazy things are in the U.S. right now. In, in schools alone, right? The, the school that was in, the, the, where that massacre took place, Parkland, Florida, last month. In the last week, two students there were arrested after brandishing knives, one against another student in the classroom, one on a school bus. Arrested, mind you. I think the guy, the, the one was a female student, the male student still detained. Uh, next day, another student was arrested after posting pictures on a Snapchat account of, of a BB gun, but it, they couldn't tell initially what it was, and some of his father's actual real bullets, the implied threat being, I'm going to shoot someone. Um, Tuesday last week, one of the school resource officers from Broward County Sheriff's Office who work at the school, Deputy Moises or Moses Karate was suspended after being found sleeping while on the job in his patrol car. Um, Zachary Cruz, who is apparently similar in mindset to his brother, you know, not all there in the head, Nick Cruz, was arrested last week after trespassing for the third time, even though he's been told to stay away from the damn school. Finally, uh, just a couple of days ago, a woman... Um, not directly related to the school, but a woman in Broward County has been charged with arson and burglary after she appeared to deliberately smash her vehicle into the Broward County Sheriff's offices. It's, uh, it sounded to me like it was an attempted murder-suicide because uh, this woman, 34-year-old Sandra Johnson, her car burst into flames. She was engulfed in flames. She needed to be rescued and hospitalized, and she's under arrest after she gets out of hospital. And the police later said there were accelerants in the vehicle. She intended to create a fireball. Now, I don't know who she is, but there are people pissed with the sheriff's office related to their handling of the school shooting. Mm-hmm. That's just a few stories from a suburb in Florida over the past few days. I mean, <laughs> it's tough. this is what I mean by things can go really freaking crazy. Like, if you, the Democrats are clapping themselves, and the deep state's happy. Yeah, we've contained Trump, but you haven't contained the reasons that gave rise to Trump, mm-hmm. and it's just going to come back stronger. It's going to come back. Maybe it won't be organized, and maybe it'll come out this crazy way. Mm-hmm. But um, the show's only just beginning. Yeah, and we're going to have to sit through it, even if you don't like the show. You're going to have to watch it anyway. Uh, uh, but we'll be here to try and make some sense of it, I suppose, as long as we can. So um, I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to our chatters. Hope you had some fun. And we'll be back with a show, another show next week. Until then, have a good evening. 
See you next week. Bye-bye. Take care.